John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from which from him which is and which was and which is to come from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the islands called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. I titled this message tonight simply, Our Preeminent Christ. Our Preeminent Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for uh, the privilege we have to open thy precious word. We look into this passage tonight, and we see you, our Lord and Savior, high and holy, lifted up. We pray, Father, that we'd be drawn to thee. Pray, Father, that you'd work in our hearts and encourage us and strengthen us and challenge us, and may there be glory in your church. By Christ Jesus, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our preeminent Christ. John, of course, is on the Isle of Patmos for the testimony for his preaching the gospel, and he sees this vision. And I want you to notice three things tonight. I do have a lot of sub-points. I'm not sure if I'll get this all done, but I think maybe we will. If we don't, we'll cut it off and we'll pick up next week. There's a lot of things you can say about this chapter here. And as I'm reading it, I see more things. But anyway, first of all, the person of Christ. We see the person of Christ. In verses 4, 5, and 8, and I'm not going to read those verses again. I will read them as I go. But first of all, we see about him, he is the timeless one. In verse 4, it says... John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. And he, he uses that again in verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come. And so he is the timeless. He is the one which is, which was, or which is, which was, and which is to come. He has an eternal perspective. He exists in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. Now, I have a hard time comprehending that. You say, preacher, explain that to me. Maybe you can ask Pastor Webb sometime. Maybe he can explain it to you. 
I don't think he can explain it to you either. Uh, we, can't, we, have a, we, get, we, we can't quite explain that. But you know, he told the Jews in John chapter 8 and verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. Now what's I am? Is that past, present, or future tense? He's timeless. He is not, you know, he, of course, he is not limited by time. He was before all things, and by him all things exist. You know, there's no such thing to him, although he did confine himself for a while to time, as we know time. But he's a timeless one. He's also the faithful witness. Notice verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. The faithful witness. The faithful witness refers to, I believe, to the one who was faithful as a witness to reveal God to man. In John 1.18, no man has seen God, but the... But he, uh, Christ hath declared him, it tells us. In other words, he's revealed him, he's manifested him, him to us. And he is faithful in manifesting God to us. Hebrews 1.3 says, he's the express image of his person. In other words, he, he is the exact replication or likeness of God the Father, and he expressed that to us in the person of of Jesus Christ, in, uh, and and so you know, and he he was faithful as a witness. Uh, he was true as a witness. In John chapter five, he talks about his witness. In John chapter five, verse thirty-one, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. He's not saying his witness wasn't true, but if he's the only one that witness or testifies to his witness, then it has no it has no weight. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in that light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do. Bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me, and the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me, Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him you believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So he's saying here, I, you know, he as a faithful witness, you know, he, was, he, he witnessed of himself. John went, gave testimony to him. The, the works he did gave testimony to him. And the Father spoke three times from heaven, gave testimony to him. And the scriptures give testimony to him. His witness is true. He has ample witnesses to his truth. What he said is true. He was a faithful witness. Everything about him that was said about him was true. So he's the timeless one. He's the faithful witness. He's the first begotten from the dead. Notice again verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faith witness, and the first begotten uh, from the dead, of the dead. The first begotten of the dead. It refers to the fact that he is the first to rise from the dead to die no more. He's also referred to, or this is also called, the firstborn. Referred to as the firstborn. Uh, and the firstborn, and you can turn to Colossians chapter 1, where we see this is spoken of very clearly. In the firstborn, or the first begotten, the firstborn has some special privileges. Uh, he was given, the firstborn was given a double portion of the inheritance. I'm sorry, I'm not the firstborn. Uh, but the first, he was given a double portion of inheritance. He was given spiritual head foot, headship of the family. And of course, Christ is considered the head of the church. If you notice in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, who is the image of the invisible God, and there again you see that faithful witness, the firstborn or the first begotten of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So he is 
He is the, the first begotten or the firstborn from the dead, which gives him uh, a leadership and authority and makes him the head. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So he is the first, the first begotten from the dead, which gives him, you know, he, he, think of it this way, he is, in a sense, our brother. He called his disciples, go tell my brethren that I will meet them in such and such a place. But he's the elder brother. And when I say elder, it refers to a special, he has special privileges of, of spiritual headship, authority that the rest of us don't have, that he delegates to us. And he does delegate some authority. We'll see that in a minute too. So he is the first begotten from the dead. He's also the prince of the kings, again verse 5, and the prince of the kings of the earth. He is prince over the kings. Now, and we see this clearly in the scriptures, he is, he is over the kings. He's over David and Solomon. You know, the greatest kings that Israel ever known, he is greater than them. In Matthew 12, 42, the Bible says, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment of this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom in Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. A greater than Solomon is here. In Psalm 110, verse 1, David said, The Lord said unto my Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord. Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And Jesus quoted, in fact, go to Matthew chapter 22. Jesus quoted that passage to the scribes or the Pharisees, you know, who were always coming to question him. In Matthew 22, in verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. That's the right answer. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou in my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forward ask him any more questions. Now, I don't think it wasn't that they weren't able to answer I think it was they didn't want to answer. Because if they'd have answered and answered correctly, they had to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the Lord. Because that's what David was saying. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God. You see, he is the prince over the kings of the earth. He is the stone in Daniel. You know, he's going to be prince over the Gentile kings as well. He is the stone in Daniel. That ground to powder, that great image that Nebuchadnezzar built, what represents the world powers, Babylon, the head of gold, uh, uh, Medo-Persia, the, the, the breasts and arms of silver, and the thighs of brass, uh, uh, um, Greece, and the legs of iron and clay, Rome, and a stone cut out of the mountains without hands, smote it at the feet, and grinded it to powder. And fill the whole earth. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Ancient of Days, he's called. See, he's going to rule over the kings of the earth. Not just the kings of Israel, but the kings of all the earth. He is the prince of the kings. He's also, he is the complete one. Now, look at verse 4 again. Back to verse 4. It says, John to the seven churches who are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Uh, notice also verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. So he is the complete one. He knows all things. 
He's the Alpha and Omega. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows all things. He transcends all time, and He is all power. He's the Almighty One. And it says here in verse 4, it's kind of, a, kind of an interesting statement, from the seven spirits which are before His throne. Now, seven, the number seven in the Bible speaks of completeness or perfection. And go to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. This, is, I believe, is a reference to Isaiah chapter 11, which speaks about Christ. Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 1 through 4, where it says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And that's a direct reference to Christ. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither prove, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And in righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And of course, this is, this is a clear reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's speaking, and it goes on to talk about his millennial reign. You know, the lion shall, each, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, verse 6, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and so on. So this is, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then it gives us sevenfold, there's seven things it talks about the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, that's Jehovah, where Lord there is all caps. It means Jehovah, the I Am, the self-existing one, who is all power and wisdom. He, the spirit of wisdom, that is the skill, is defined as a skill or ability to discern the nature of things. Uh, the spirit of understanding, the, the ability to discern differences. Spirit of counsel, the ability to adopt or come to right conclusions. Spirit of might, power, or ability to carry out those conclusions or to execute judgment. The spirit of knowledge, the, the ability to know the very essence of the Father or the nature of God. The spirit of fear... That's the ability to refrain from displeasing the Father. And, of course, it was said of Jesus that I do always those things which please Him. And I believe what we see represented here as referred to this from the seven spirits is He is the complete man, the God-man, the perfect man. And, of course, and I read... Uh, well, actually, it's in Colossians 2.9. I didn't read that. It says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. In other words, he is a complete representation of who God is. He's a complete picture of God. In all his attributes. So we see the person of Christ. Secondly, I want you to notice the purchase of Christ, verses 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, hath made us kings and priests unto God and to his Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The purchase of Christ. It says he hath made us. He hath made us. Uh, and verse 4, or verse 6. You know, this speaks, of course, of an influence or a power outside or beyond ourselves. Now, when we say that, uh, therefore, being justified by faith, okay, the word justified means to be declared righteous. That means somebody else has to declare you righteous. You can't self-declare your, yourself righteous. No. That has to be done by a judge. And so it speaks of a power outside of us. And of course it says here in verse 6, He hath made us. Now I want you to notice four things here. First of all, He loved us. As we think about Him, the purchase of Christ, He loved us. He hath, he, it says He loved us. Unto Him that loved us. Here's the... Here's the timeless one, the faithful witness, the first begotten from the dead, 
the Almighty God, and He loved us. He loved us. 1 John 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son in the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, is sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, He loved us. He loved us. He not only loved us, but He loosed us. It says that He loved us, and He washed us from our sins. That word wash there is the same word that Jesus used when He said that uh, uh, ye not be washed, You're not all, how do you say, you're not all, um, can't remember how it goes. When you're in John 13, when he went to wash the disciples' feet, and, and, and he, he said, you need not to be washed holy, that was the idea. But, but here it is, to wash holy. So you're, you're not, uh, uh, he, so here it means to be wholly cleansed, wholly cleansed. You know, we are, when, when, when Jesus washed us from our sins in his, only blood, in his own blood, he completely cleansed us. Thoroughly washed us. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. You know, the maniac... The maniac was loosed. He was set free from the demons that controlled him. Lazarus, he said about Lazarus, loose him and let him go. And we have been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. We are no longer held by the chains of sin. We've been loosed. We've been set free. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so we've been loved. He loved us. He loosed us. Not only did he love us and loose us, but he also lifted us. Verse 6 says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now the word kings, you know, you know sometimes this is kind of hard, hard for us to comprehend, that, I'm, that we might be a king someday. I mean, after all, I'm, I'm not in, a, in any, you know, uh, royal line of, anybody anywhere that I know of but I am I am now kings Thayer describes it as of Christians as to reign over the world with Christ in the millennial kingdom and the word priest of Christians as to reign over the world uh, uh, I didn't get the right definition there I got another piece it has to do with those that are devoted to the servants of Christ And this is not an isolated comment in the Bible about this. Look at chapter 5 and verse 10. Chapter 5 and verse 10. Again, let's go back to verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign over on the earth we're going to reign on the earth chapter 20 again verse 6 chapter 20 verse 6 blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such a second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years and Paul made mention of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When the church at Corinth were squabbling among themselves and they couldn't make decisions and, and they couldn't get any clarity about things and they were taking each other to law before the, the, the heathen. And so he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 6 he addressed this issue in verse 1 he says dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world 
And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? I mean, you, don't you know that we're going to judge the world? Do you not know that we're going to judge angels? You know, some people think, have this idea that they want to be an angel. I don't want to be an angel. Jesus was made lower than the angels. But he's going to be exalted higher than the angels. And guess what? We're exalted with him. Why would I want to be an angel? Angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. That's us. And the Bible says we're going to judge angels. We're going to judge the world. See, he has made us. You know, he has, again, he has exalted us to the highest place, even above angels. So he's lifted us. So he's loved us, loosed us from our sins. He's lifted us, made us kings and priests. But he also has left us here to witness. Now notice verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. I, John, also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Notice, in tribulation. And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Was in the isle that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, John, he's who was an aged man at this time, you know, says that, you know, he says, I'm, he, of course, he was in the Isle of Patmos. Uh, 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 actually, I looked up a definition. It has something about kill, killed, being killed or something like that. Anyway, he was, he was there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, one commentator said this, about John, the exile of John to the Isle of Patmos is in itself a moving story of devotion to Christ crowned with suffering. The small island, rocky and forbidding in its terrain, about 10 miles long and 6 miles wide, is located in the Aegean Sea southwest of Ephesus, just beyond the island of Samos. Early church fathers, such as Irenaeus, Clement of Alexander, and Eusebius, state that John was sent to this island as an exile under the ruler of Domitian. According to the uh, According to Victorinus, John, though aged, was forced to labor in the mines located at Patmos. Early sources also indicate that about 96, AD 96, at Domitian's death, John was allowed to return to Ephesus when the Emperor Nerva was in power. It was in these bleak circumstances, shut off from friends and human fellowship, that John was given the most extensive revelation of future things shown to any writer of the New Testament. They could not bind the Spirit of God nor the testimony of Jesus Christ. John experience paralleled those of the Old Testament prophets. Moses wrote the Pentateuch in the wilderness. David wrote many psalms while being pursued by Saul. Isaiah lived in difficult days and died a martyr's death. Ezekiel wrote in exile. Jeremiah's life was one of trial and persecution. Peter wrote his two letters shortly before martyrdom. Thus, in the will of God, the final written revelation was given to John while suffering for Christ and the gospel. You see, he was here, he was left here as a witness. You notice again in verse 9, he was there in the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, so he was testimony for, for Christ. You know, exiled for the testimony. And, the, and of course, this, the purpose of this exile was to pressure him we heard about that this morning, to pressure him to concede to the Romans. You know, from what things I've read about the history of the Romans was, you know, they, 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 of course, they worshipped the, the emperor, and they often burned incense. They would require you or expect everyone to burn incense to the emperor, and they would come around and check at certain times. And they would bring these little... Pots, you know, that they used to burn incense, and you'd have to light it and burn some incense to the emperor. And you know, all you had to do was say that Jesus Christ is not the only God, not the only way to God, and offer a little incense to the emperor. But John refused. 
So he labored in the mines for the testimony of Christ, the word of God. But once you notice, you know, though he was left here to witness, he was empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ and encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice in verse 10 it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So he was, he was in the spirits on the Lord's day. John, I believe it was evident, was in a time of meditation prayer in his barren prison land of Patmos. You know, remembering his Lord, uh, and when he heard this great voice behind him. You know, he was in the, again, it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You know, if we want the Lord to speak to us from his word, we have to have hearts prepared. We have to be in the spirit. What gives us understanding into his word? You know, there are a lot of unsaved people that read the Bible. But don't know what it means. They don't have understanding into it. I remember we, uh, in-laws, back when they were in Pennsylvania, one church there, they supported this uh, guy who was a missionary to Alaska. He was a big, burly truck driver when he got saved. He was 39 years old. He said, I went to church all my life. He said, I read the Bible every day. I thought it was the dumbest book I ever read. So I got saved. He was a good old Methodist boy. But he said, the Bible didn't make any sense until I got saved. You see, the Spirit of God gives us understanding in His Word. And if we want God to speak to us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, we have to be in the Spirit. We have to be led of the Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in words, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice, it's not words which man's wisdom teacheth. There are a lot of wise men, at least they think they're wise, that study the Bible and come up with some very strange conclusions. Because they look at the Bible through man's understanding. No, it's which the Holy Ghost teaching teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You see, these wise men deny the miraculous. They would say, how can God be timeless? That's impossible. How can a virgin conceive? That's impossible. How can somebody rise from the dead, literally, in a body? That's impossible. It's just a ghost. It's just a ghost. And how can how can the can a sea divide? Well, after all, it wasn't the Red Sea; it was just the Reed Sea. You know, it was just knee deep in water. But I still don't know how all those gypsies drowned. But you know, there are actually people that believe that stuff because they deny the miracles of the Bible because they appeal man's wisdom. They think they have to be able to explain everything. I can't explain to you how a virgin can conceive. Any more than I can explain to you that Jesus Christ exists in the past, present, future, all at the same time. But there are ample witnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead bodily. There were ample witnesses that he was dead when he was put in the tomb. There is much testimony to those things. 
it cannot be denied even historically. There is sufficient evidence. And you see, we have to understand the Word of God. We have to have the Spirit of God to teach us. It says, which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And see, lots of men who think they're very wise make fun of what we consider the miracles of the Bible. Jesus feeding the 5,000 with command, five loaves and two fishes. Oh, come on. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John 14. <clears throat> Again, before he left his disciples, before he was crucified, Jesus taught them concerning the Spirit of God and how he would instruct them and how he instructs us. John 14, verse 26. Yeah, verse 26. But the, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So he's going he's gonna to teach you and he's going to bring everything to remembrance. You know, I've often said this, that you know, we need to read and study the Bible and put it into our minds and think about it so that when you're out there witnessing somebody and, and they ask you a question, you, you can have an answer because the Spirit of God is able to bring it to your remembrance. I mean, you may not have it memorized. If I asked you to quote it, you probably couldn't answer. Chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 13. Again, how be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. you know, so he's, again, he's going he's to uh, teach us, guide us into all truth, and he will show us things to come. And he will not speak of himself. But again, he speaks the word or gives us wisdom and understanding into the word of God. He can give us wisdom and understanding into this book. You know, most of Christendom doesn't understand the book of Revelation because of a wrong view of the second coming of Christ. So he wasn't, you know, he, yes, we, and we, you and I, just as John was, are left here as witnesses but we are empowered by Christ. But again, that all comes through the Spirit of God. So though he was exiled at Patmos, suffering for the cause of Christ, yet he was strengthened, he was encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ as he, he walked uh, in the Spirit. Uh, so we see here, we see the, the, uh, uh, the purchase of Christ. And then I want you to notice a third thing. And that is, speaks about the preeminence of Christ. Notice verses 13 through verse 20. Verses 13 through verse 20. Uh, it says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of, death, of hell and of death. So here we see the preeminence of Christ. He's pictured as a judge, and he is the judge. And we see in verses 13 through 15, it gives kind of a description of him, of the appearance of him. Uh, and I'll just mention a few things. Gold, of course, he, he's he girded about with, a, uh, with a, a golden girdle. Gold speaks of deity, also of authority, royalty. Uh, he has uh, hair white like wool, his garments white as snow. 
uh, speaks of wisdom. Eyes of fire, piercing, all-knowing. All-knowing. Uh, his feet like on the fine brass. Of course, brass speaks of judgment as if they burned in a furnace. His sound of the voice of many waters, of course, of authority and power. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is a description of, of the, the all-wise and the all-knowing God with power and authority. And the point that he's making here is that he is Lord of all and Lord, and what he's going to go into is he is Lord of his churches. You notice in, uh, and what he's doing, what he's doing, and he's doing it now, just as he was then, he is judging, or if you will, inspecting, examining, or grading his churches, his candlesticks. Verse 20 says, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the churches are pictured as candlesticks, were lights for the world. And so, and he is in the midst of the candlesticks. If you notice in verse 13, it says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. And this is what chapters 2 and 3 are about. They are his churches, and he's in the midst of them. In fact, look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And again, we know the candlesticks are the churches. So he's walking in the midst of his churches. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. You can keep your place there when you, when you find it because we're going to be going back there a couple times uh, here on out. But in Matthew chapter 18, uh, here he makes reference to that also. In verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So he's talking about a church there. And he said, I'm in the midst of them. Even if it's just two or three, I'm in the midst of them. He's, he's, he's walking in the midst. He's inspecting. He's judging. He's examining his churches. And Revelation 2 and 3 is the examination of the church at Ephesus, church of Smyrna, church of Sardis, church of Thyatira, church of Laodicea, and church of Philadelphia. Seven churches. And he, of course, he holds, it talks about the stars, he holds the stars in his hand Verse 16, uh, it says, and he had his right hand seven stars. In verse 20, it says the seven stars, the middle of the verse, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, under the angel of the church at Ephesus right. So we believe that it, the stars are the pastors. The leaders are the churches. The word angel is simply messenger. That's what it means, messenger. You know, the pastors are the Lord's messenger, the ones that's to feed the flock of God, feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So, so it's, 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 it's reference to the pastors of the churches that he's addressing and examining and telling them about the churches. You know, he has, he has the keys of hell and of death. Now, this, what's significant about the keys is the churches, you know, Peter was given the keys. That really refers to the authority to exercise discipline in the churches. That's what it refers to. And the churches, the churches are to exercise his word in judgment. Now, go to, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. I'm going to want to go on one of these rabbit trails here. I'm going to you know, put you on a train, but hopefully the train has a caboose. 1 Timothy 3.15 it says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the churches are to, are to be the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, pillar holds up, and, and a, the ground.
speaks of a foundation or were to be so we're to hold up and be anchored in the truth. The churches are. And of course we know what the truth is. The truth is the word of God. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the churches are to exercise his word in judgment. Uh, and true churches are evident by the reception of his word. In John 17, verse 8, he says, I have given them thy word, and they have received them. You see, a, a true church will receive the words of the living God as their authority. As their authority. Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. You know, a church that doesn't teach the truth of the word of God, it's not a church of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus told us in John 12, verses 47 and 48, that we're going to be judged by his works. So churches then exercise authority with his word. And that's the context of Matthew chapter 18. If you go back there, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. Again, what their disciples are instructed here to do in the church after his departure is to exercise authority with his word or by his word or in accordance with his word. Moreover, verse 15, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between he, thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever he shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever he shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, as such in anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my Father which is in heaven. So this binding and loosing has the idea of church discipline to, to put out of the church or to receive into the church. We have been given that authority as church. But we must remember it is a delegated authority. An authority delegated to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus began this. He began this. Luke, not Luke, Acts chapter 1 tells us all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And they were to be carried on by his disciples. And so Jesus began this, and we are to continue it. You know, please exercise the authority of the government they serve. They do not enforce their own laws but the laws of their authority. And our authority as a church is confined to, limited to, the scriptures. And when churches try to enforce things outside of that, you know, we were talking about the Amish last night. It has, and it's laughable. They can have cell phones now. Some of them have cell phones for the business, and um, and I said, I said, I guess now that you can bring the prince of the power of the air into your business, you just can't take it into your house. Uh, and, and you know, all these silly rules that they make are just that. And like one Amishman said to me one time when I was confronting him about the inconsistencies of all these things, he said, "Well, I don't make the rules; I just play the game." <laughs> That's religion. They're religious people, very religious people. They're really a cult. You know, a lot of people think they're, they're really good people. No, they're not. They're teaching lies, just like the Catholic Church is teaching lies. And the Mormons are teaching lies. You see, our authority as a church is limited to the Scriptures. But God has given to us that authority. But he, it is he that is inspecting and examining, or if you will, young people that are in school, grading his churches. He's grading them. 
He's walking in the midst continually. And if a church fails to be obedient to the word of God, you know, there comes a point where, in fact, we'll see that in the seven churches where he'll remove the candlestick. It ceases to be a church of the living God. Then it becomes a social club. You know, our country tonight is filled with social clubs that call themselves churches. Because they don't teach the whole counsel of God. They will not exercise church discipline. They will not do it. That is a mark of a true church that will exercise discipline. And of course the Lord here is walking in the midst. He's in the midst of our church. And he's inspecting. So it challenges us to examine ourselves as individuals and as a church in light of the scriptures. What saith the Lord? That is the authority. I have no authority on my own. We as a church have no authority on our own. It's not the gospel of the church. It's the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. That's what it is. It's his gospel. But he has given us the responsibility to carry it out. He's left us here in the midst of this chaotic and suffering world to be a witness and to be faithful for him until he comes and live in light of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly